Welcome to Babblefish, episode number 57. I'm your host, Fred, and today I have a brand new segment with the wife and I. But before I get into, the, get into that, let's do some housekeeping. If you want to get a hold of the show and have something to say, you can find us at babblefishpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. If you're on Facebook, like every other person that is, you can find our group page there, Babblefish Podcast, of course. And as always, our home base is SoundCloud, but the easiest way to get the show is through iTunes and Google Play, but we are on everything else in between. So this is going to be a brand new segment, and I'm actually excited to do this. Sarah and I are going to get behind the mics, and we're going to start reviewing some of the movies that I grew up on that are in like early 80s or just early 90s or anywhere in between then that I happen to grow up on, and you know maybe she just never really heard of them growing up. So we're going to ask ourselves, does this movie hold up to today? How about all of the the characters and the the main tropes of it? Do they still ring true today? You know, and basically, it's always fun to see some of our favorite actors young and strapping and everything. So I think it's going to be fun. Now, I'm not going to lie and say that we're completely like we are so good and professionals at reviewing movies because we are not and frankly this is the first time that we actually sat behind the mic and actually tried to review a movie so it's not really polished in the best that we can do but rest assured the more we do the better we will get i can promise you that so please just stick with us and i promise we'll find our flow and find our rhythm and before you know it, it'll be like we've been doing this forever. So without further ado, here we go. The first segment with, uh, I, you know, I don't even know what to call it right now. The title is a working, uh, it's a work in progress, but that will be addressed in the show. I digress. I'm sorry. All right, guys, without further ado, here we go. Benito, hit that button, baby. <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Fred. And I'm Sarah. What's going on? It's been a while since we've been behind the mic together. Schedules, they suck. I know, I know. So uh, ever since our last podcast, which was basically our finale for America's Got Talent, Mm -hmm. I've been kind of struggling coming up with a segment for us to do together. The genesis of what we're going to do today is we're going to take some of my beloved childhood movies that I grew up with. And that, you know, we're going to watch together and then we're going to hop on the mic and we're going to kind of review them. But what I think will make it interesting is that I don't know, not too many people know this, but you are essentially 10 years younger than me. So there's like a whole decade of just pop culture and just references that sometimes just go right over your head. Okay, one, because my generation were pinpoint, we are exactly nine months. (laughs) I mean, nine years and six months away. separate because there's th- six months of the year we're only i feel nine. like we're splitting hairs at this moment well that's just like people <laughs> who are like i'm 39 but you're turning 40 next week i'm 39 <laughs> all right so it's not quite 10 years it's exactly. nine years and six months excuse me you're welcome. so almost a decade of just pop culture and you know movies that i grew up on uh-huh. But you don't really even know about, or if you do, it's just vague because you have a whole different set of references. And I guess what the genesis of what brought this about, we were just talking about childhood TV shows. And you were saying that you're a really big fan of Power Rangers. Like you grew up on Power Rangers. Is that wrong? Wrong. 
No, oh, okay, correct. I, I am the generation of Power Rangers. Uh, I, were you not a fan? Only the first like season or two. And there was multiple. <laughs> and it's right in your wheelhouse then. Because once they started changing things, I'm like, oh, it's too much. Sure. It became you were you were originalist snob. You know, you wanted you, you know, you were a purist. And as soon as they started fucking with your formula, you, yeah. you thumbed your nose at the Power Rangers. Well, let's not forget, I am younger than you. <laughs> and more attractive. I'm joking. Oh, more attractive. Yes, you are, babe. <laughs> but I had an older sister, so I actually know more than what maybe some of my generation Well, that's why do. I feel like this would make a good segment, you know, what we're going to do. Because you do have somewhat... Your sister is around my age. Yeah. And, you know, through osmosis, you watch the same movies or, you know, some of the same stuff. Like music. Come on. I grew up on Tweety Bird, okay? Right. And Roadrunner. Like... I used to watch Black and White. There's movies that I know that you don't know, and it's your mama's generation, okay? We, well, we're not talking about mom, pa, kettle, all right? I mean, we're, we're going to stay within the air, the zone of color TV and color movies. You know, speakies is what they call them when they first got sound. That's what we're going to review. Well, let's not, you're making it sound like I don't know shit about like VHS and cassettes, okay? I'm young, but I ain't that young. What you know about beta? <laughs> I actually grew up with a beta machine. I used to have some eight tracks as a little kid. I remember getting an eight track player and eight tracks from like my uncle or something like that. Long, long time ago. My aunt had a car that still used eight tracks. Okay. Sure. So, um, what kind of like really solidified it is we were talking about a movie that just came out flatliners Mm -hmm. and you said, Oh, I really want to see this movie flatliners. And I didn't understand it because it's totally not your style of movie. Right psychological thriller bordering on like you know not horror but i don't know it's something like that right my girl's in it that's what it is ellen page is in the movie right Mm -hmm. so i said to you i'm like did you know that flatliners or that's a remake that there's an original flatliner starring the brat pack if you will of the 80s or some of them right Mm -hmm. and you replied no I, i didn't know that and it blew me away and i'm like well that's it that's our segment from now on we're going to take movies that I grew up on, my childhood favorites, from and the, from the 80s up until, let's say, I graduated in high school in 1995, right? Mm-hmm. I was born in 77. I won't even say what grade I was in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is what will make it unique in a way, right? And creepy. Yeah. <laughs> well, because some 80s movies hold up and are classics to this day, and other 80s movies that I think that... I held, I hold on a pedestal in my oh, yeah. mind. We go to rewatch them, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" And you're probably going to be like, "What the fuck were you guys doing in the '80s? Like this shit is horrible." You grew up on this shit. Well, I will say because we've had this debate with your little sister, right? Well, a whole the, another generation. Oh yeah, you're twice removed. Teen Wolf. Yeah, and well, she tried to diss it, and we both were like, "You don't know shit." And well, then, she didn't know that Teen Wolf was a movie originally. She's just referencing this fucking MTV movie where everyone is half naked and sweaty all the time. Oh, no. I think she YouTube it to see a clip. And when then, I referenced it, when I yeah, told her. And then she dissed us. She doesn't then, know about the power of Michael J. Fox. Exactly. But I'm not going to lie. I have actually tried to rewatch that. All right, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there one movie at a time, okay? So I don't want your review on Teen Wolf just no, yet. No, I'm not. But I will say this. There's some movies that they're recreating, and they're sucking at it. Right. And I think what's going to make Flatliner so uh, kind of cool is because we'll review the 1990s version today. Mm. And then eventually we'll get out there and we'll see the new one. And then we will, it can at least hop on and compare and contrast from the old to the new. No, for sure. But 
just from the clips that I've seen of the new one, mm-hmm. and I've already watched the old one, the new one looks better, which n- rarely happens because there's just some movies they shouldn't touch. Like Dirty Dancing. I don't like the remake of it. It sucked. Um, Footloose, they remade that. The new version sucked as well. Like, there's just certain movies they shouldn't... Have. I just heard they're going to remake Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. What? That is one of my favorites. Cry Baby? <coughs> okay. All right. Like, it's too much. Leave the <coughs> classics alone. That's all I'm saying. Like, they can't come up with new movies. Yeah. Well, that will just be more cannon fodder for us to review, babe. We'll go back and watch the original, watch the new one, and we can give a proper review. All right. So... Flatliners, 1990. You didn't know that this was an original movie, so I figured this will be the movie that kicks off our new segment. And I'm trying to come up with a name. I I, I just can't. You know, like I have nerds at a round table with Pro-V and Smiley Dank and Gus and all that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I have my cannabis reviews and strain review and all that, you know? But I don't know what to call this segment. We have That's a working title. I was thinking like, you know, like... Uh, Ah oh, man, you know, childhood or simple reviews with my wife and I don't know. I don't know. But something that encapsulates what we're trying to do. I did like Provi's suggestion and it was sort of like vintage movies, modern wife. I like that. I, I like that, but I think it needs a little bit of tweaking. Like it's it's in the ballpark, but it's not quite the home run that it can be. But I think he's on the right track. Cause you, cause I struggle sometimes with time, you know, with simple shit like this. I like that, but then it leaves it open to like, what about vintage TV shows? Are there any vintage TV yeah. shows that are being recreated now? Right. Oh, duh. But it's all the same cast though, cause you got old Fuller. What are you talking about? Oh, Full House. Roseanne and Roseanne. Yeah, I mean, but we are kind of specific in the area of say 1980 to 95, which is my formative years that I kind of grew up on. And, you know, maybe... Are you scared of the 70s? Well, I was born in 77. We're just talking about something that I personally have a reference to. So you're our limit. I'm joking. Well, we're, we're going to stay focused. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm not going to review Easy Rider. I didn't grow up with that film. Well, yes, I did watch it growing up. It wasn't, you know, tailored for me in my generation to say Breakfast Club was or something like that. Okay? Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. I got some movies for us already. I'm, I'm like got a list. Of- oh, the list is never ending. I mean, I already have our first five movies of what we're going to review, especially some of my classics and favorites. And, I, and I'm wondering how they will make you feel and just, you know, are they going to be the classics for you that they are in my mind? You know, as legendary as they are. Still Magnolia? Oh, God. I'm, that's my mom. Oh, God, man. You're just pulling these fucking chick flicks right out your ass, aren't you? You need the pillow and the and the Kleenex. God, no. I think I'm good on beaches and, and what I would. Steel Magnolia. Yeah, Steel Mag. I was going to say uh, the, the Mystic Pizza or some shit like that. <gasps> that's a good movie, Mystic Pizza. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Okay. That was the whole reason why I was surprised I didn't know about this movie. Because, um, What's her name? Julia. Julia Roberts. She's in it. And I've seen almost every single movie, even movies that I've. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned it because now we let's get into this. Right. Julia Roberts, you know, and and it just it blew my mind that you didn't even know about this original movie, you know. And and, okay, so imagine if you will, babe. Her juicy lips. 1990. Mm -hmm. George H.W. Bush is president. Oh, fuck. And your (laughs) young 
hunky, very cool, most popular kid husband is in eighth grade, 1990, eighth grade. All right, I'm very popular. Everybody likes me. I got muscles. You know, I'm like, I'm, I got hair. You know, I'm, I'm cool. The whole nine, right? I mean, girls are just falling all over me. This is eighth grade, okay? It's the summer of 1990. So I'm coming from seventh grade into eighth grade. And Flatliners <laughs> drops. Flatliners was one of those movies where I was like, whoa. I mean, it's got all the cool people in it. Kiefer Sutherland and... You know, Julia Roberts, and it's got the Alec Baldwin's brother in it, William Baldwin, and Kevin Bacon, right? I love me some bacon. I know you do, right? All right. So Flatliners, 1990, an American science fiction psychological horror film directed by Joel Schumacher, produced by Michael Douglas, Douglas and Rick Bieber, and written by Peter Fillard. It stars Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, William Baldwin, Oliver Pratt, and Kevin Bacon. The film is about five medical students who attempt to find out what lies beyond by conducting clandestine experiments that produce near-death experiences. The film was shot on campus of Lola Loya, L-O-Y-O-L-A-O-L-A. I'm struggling with that word. It was shot on the campus of Loyola University in Chicago Uh, between October 1989 and January 1990. And it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Sound Editing in 1990. And the film was theatrically released on August 10th, 1990 by Columbia Pictures. It grossed $61 million at the box office. And there is a current remake in theaters right now, directed by Neil Niels Arden Opleb. Man, these, I'm fucking struggling with these names today. Jeez. So, now that we got the technicals out of the way, what did you think? Overall, without giving like any kind of specific review, 1 through 10 or anything like that, what did you think about the look and the feel of Flatliners? Yeah. Like, I liked the movie. Like, I liked it, and at some points I was a little bored because it was just a little too much and cheesy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it got me really excited to see the new version of it. <laughs> I love Julia Robert. I love the Kevin Bacon. Right. Who was the other? Um, I I now I remember when the movie opened up, right? And Kevin Bacon's character, Doctor Nelson, that one. Yeah, uh, Kevin Bacon's character was David Labraccio. Okay, just squash the last name. Just do first names. <laughs> Doctor David. <laughs> So we see, you know, there's like this emergency situation and he's like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. The doctor's not here, but I'm here and I know what I'm doing. And he does it and they basically kick him out for it. So they establish him as this rebel kind of doctor who knows everything, right? But he's good. He saved that patient life. If it wasn't for him, that person would have died. Sure. Okay. What I start, what I laughed really hard about, what I thought was really cheesy is when he does, he repels out the window of the building. He throws his yeah. bag out the window and he's cursed. They kick me out and he repels out the window. Yeah. And it's like, bro, you know, you could just use the stairs. Well, that's what his friend said. He goes, you know, there's a door yeah. to this place. <laughs> and then he's, he's a- getting his shit and he's going to walk off with this harness. So the rope is going to stay there. What about the next class? What do they got to buy their own harness now? You couldn't even leave the harness for the next guy. Well, no, he owns that. He's a rock climber. Oh, so you think he's just going to unhook all that shit? He doesn't need that extra string up stop. This is my thing. Who just drives around an army truck? That was an army truck. It looked like an army truck. 
Yeah, it, it looked like a, a decommissioned like Vietnam era army truck or something. You know, it, it was like the hard cab in the front, but then uh, soft back. Yeah, everything else was just like cloth. You know, like that canvas kind of cloth that the army uses. Out of all the guys in this movie, he's my favorite. Not just because he's Kevin. Oh, I he mean, had the '80s hair going. I mean, it was like the the party mullet, where it was like all feathered out in the front and looking like business and everything. Yeah, but then he business in the front, party in the back. Yeah, but it wasn't like the southern mullet. It was like the northern, like up, you know, like upstate America kind of like in the north <laughs> mullet. You know, where it was all fancy and feathered back and slick with hairspray. I mean, you could see they used a shit ton of hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> so you pretty much just said it's a doctor mullet and not white trash mullet. Well, that's you, what you just there, said. There's a certain style of mullet. See, I didn't go there. I just said Southern. I don't know why when you when somebody says Southern esque mullet, you think of white trash. That's actually kind of bigoted on your behalf. And I think you should apologize to our listeners down south. I don't think we have any, but maybe one day one person from down that south. That generation. I just thought of Dukes of Hazard. Where is that located? Uh, to be honest with you, I Thank don't know. You. What's wrong? What's wrong with Dukes of Hazards? I grew up with Dukes of Hazards. Boss Hog, the whole nine, Daisy Duke. What? That's why Daisy Duke. I'm pretty sure that was the only reason you watched that show. So, what's your point? <laughs> all right, we're, we're digressing here. All right, I still think you owe our Southern listeners an apology for that Southern mullet reference. Sorry. Thank you very much. Now that we can move on, okay. So he definitely has like this doctor's esque mullet, right? And I find it very captivating. <laughs> but then there's Kiefer Sutherland, right? And we kind of lead off with him, and he's like, we see him like going around and gathering up his like A team, if you will, right? I mean, his Avengers team. He's he's recruiting these people, and and of course, everyone says no at first, but you know they all come along eventually because we wouldn't have a movie if they didn't, right? So we're going to go ahead and I'm just going to kind of read the uh, the plot. And I'm just going to hop on Wikipedia just because I'm not, you know, we're going to kind of break down each thing. So I'm going to read a little bit and we'll kind of just our initial thoughts and we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. All right. So Nelson Wright, a medical student, convinces four of his medical school classmates, Joe Hurry, Hurley, David Labraccio, Randy Steckel, and Rachel Manis, all of our main characters, to help him discover what lies beyond death. Nelson flatlines for one minute before his classmates resuscitate him. While dead, he experiences a sort of afterlife. He sees a vision of a boy he bullied as a child, Billy Mahoney. He merely tells his friends that he cannot describe what he saw. But something is there, and the others follow Nelson's daring feet. So what were your reactions to the first Dr. Nelson going under? And we see like the eagle-esque type view of swooping in and kids running in this field we don't quite know what's going on mm-hmm. we just see this beautiful landscape with kids running it was it was actually beautiful it was very peaceful right right yeah yeah and it's almost like well because i don't want to just use his i want to use when dr david goes under his was like from where he was all the way like reverting all the way around back to in his mama's tummy Right, we'll, we'll get there. Like, I like that idea of, like, a flash of your life. Maybe let's skip all the sad shit, all the horrible <laughs> shit. Let's just see all the beautiful well, shit. You like the idea of the classic trope of when we... <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. So when we die, your whole life will flash before your eyes, almost like a movie playing out. Yeah. All right. If Either that or just take me straight to the pearly gates and 
Let me see my. So comments. your initial reaction, because this is the first time you're seeing this. All right, they flatline them. You, what I thought was kind of cheesy about this particular scene, they had that blanket, that thermal blanket that they could turn cold and hot, mm. and they <laughs> they demonstrated that by the blue and red light, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was just kind of cheesy. Mm. No, yeah. yeah. Kind of cheesy. I mean, I get the colors. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, to purvey the point that we're cooling them down and he- heating them up and everything like that. But I just yeah. thought, I felt like that was a little cheesy. I didn't really notice that. Younger, but, you know, now that we rewatched it, I was like, oh, shit. And you know your colors. Yeah. <laughs> I can associate my colors well, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> so is that it? Is that your, like, initial thoughts on that first scene? Were you like, oh, my God, this is going to be a good movie, or I like the cinematography, or, like, the feel? I like the feel of the movie i like the setting the set it's um okay the set was a little creepy they were in an abandoned building well here's the thing like i said earlier it was shot at that loyola university and i just googled that really quick and that's a it was founded by a jesuit like monk or whatever right so it's a it's the largest christian academy or christian college in america right now right or at least at the time when this was filmed and I just thought the set itself, the campus itself, just lend itself to just being wonderfully creepy and beautiful with all this religious iconography in the background. Well, see, I never noticed all that stuff until the very end. And it's the last scene of them doing what they do. Right. And there's a big pe- picture, picture of who is that? Supposed to I be? think it was a saint or I, I don't know which particular saint. It looks like uh, what's his name? Titan. Because he's in the cloud and he's a big muscular Oh, guy. Zeus you talking about? There you go. So, yeah, it definitely had pictures of, like, Greek gods and you know, Christian gods. Yeah. You know, all around. In the clouds. But yeah. it was actually pointing. If you look at his hand, it was pointing exactly where they were located at. Right, right. I don't know if that's there originally or maybe that was just a set piece. Because it looked like that whole room was, like, a set piece. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But... The whole outside of it, the architecture. Oh, it was beautiful. And where the they were filming when they were all together as students and dissecting the bodies as part of their class. And they were just surrounded by the religious iconography, the paintings in the background. I thought it was just kind of beautiful. And, you know, I seen in a little bit of the preview of the new one. And the new one just looked very, like, almost like modern, futuristic style or... Laboratory underground yeah, type Yeah, yeah. Very, um, what's, the, what's the word, you know, when they, um, you know... Like, I don't know, like, I want to say antibacterial. Um, starts with a... Sterile. Sterile. Thank you. Looked very, like, modern and sterile and everything. And monochrome type colors. This one had some character to it. You know, and the set. Yeah, everything was just dirty and just kind of wet. And, you know, you could see the passage of the seasons in this, you know, because I, I don't know. I just really liked... I liked the set design or the character of Chicago itself in the college. I thought that was its own character in the movie. Okay. Did that not at all stand? Well, like you said, you didn't even really notice it, did you? Well, I just noticed it was very dirty. And I'm sorry, if I'm going to go into a place to pretty much off myself and be brought back to life, I kind of want to be a little clean and warm. (laughs) Just saying. If it's not going to be in a hospital, at least be fucking clean. I am really curious, and we will have to uh, bring this point up when we watch the remake, um, how the background and the set itself feels compared to the original with chicago and the college as the set and background Mm -hmm. so next they start debating or not debating uh um how much longer they were bidding as they were going through a bidding wars how much you know i want to go under for 150 i'll go under for two minutes right so joel is the next to go up he's the womanizer guy 
films himself uh, banging all these uh, chicks and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Sick fuck. <laughs> so Joel flatlines next, and he experiences an erotic afterlife sequence. He agrees with Nielsen's claims that something indeed exists. David is the third to flatline, and he sees a vision of a black girl, Winnie Hicks, that he bullied in grade school. The three men start to experience hallucinations relating in their afterlife visions. Nielsen gets physically beat up by Billy Mahoney twice. Joe, engaged to be married, is haunted by his home videos of his sexual uh, uh, conquest with the women. David finds Winnie Hicks on a train and she verbally taunts him as he taunted her. So quickly this movie takes a turn. Everybody that goes under is now haunted by some ghost or past you know, event of their life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say that of all the flashback or flatline sequences, I liked uh, Kevin Bacon's character the most. He was the atheist, and it's what you alluded to earlier when they said, uh, or when you said... Well, because he his vision wasn't just being him picking on that little girl. It was first the beautiful stuff. It, it, all their visions start off beautiful. Yeah. And... and and one of their, I guess you can call it sins. Right. And I think um, I'm having and, a. And I think that maybe that's why their visions that they saw were based on how they live their life and what they believe. Yeah. I, I, I think that all of the visions or whatever that guilt was, was the most profound guilt thing that they had in their life or whatever their sin or whatever that they carried. Yeah. That they didn't really forgive themselves for. And I guess we could get into that later, right? But of all the flatline sequences, I like Kevin Bacon's the most. Because most of them was like, you know, the first one was this landscape picturesque view. The next one was the women that was all kind of in the background. and But this one was the flash, his life. Kind of starting from present and going all the way back to when he was an embryo. Which I thought was pretty cool. And then it did some kind of cosmic bang thing. And then... You know, he's making fun of the little black girl at, at the school, right? And then um, I just thought that was the coolest one. Which one was your favorite? Was that it? Because I know you talked about it earlier, right? Yeah. What did you like about it? Everything that you just said. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just, I like, for him to be an atheist, because you know I don't like movies of saying that there's nothing afterwards. Like, I hate movies that do that. Because then it's like, well, what the fuck do I believe? I know there's a whole faith and like you just have to believe. And if you believe strong enough, then that will be what happens. So to see him play an atheist and see from where he is now to pretty much being in his mother's stomach and then going over the mountains and seeing the ocean to then seeing his him being a bully. I thought it was pretty nice. Yeah. Because out of everyone that had went through it, not everybody changed. Like, what's his name? Only apologized to his now ex-fiance was because he got caught. What's his name couldn't apologize because what he did actually killed the kid. Right. Where Kevin Bacon was like, I need to find this 
girl, like I need to find her. I need to apologize. I shouldn't have heard. You know what I mean? So it's like he's the only one that came back from the experience and try to make a change. Yeah, well, and and it was the atheist of the group, supposedly. Exactly. Right? And he looked her up and all that. But I think it was a, a complete dick move by Kiefer Sutherland's character to not tell anyone that he was having these hallucinations or anything. Yeah, because wasn't he attacked? I could have swore it was yeah. four times. Well, or the first three time, times. sorry, three, three times. times. And the first time uh, they were Ooh. all in, he was in the back of the truck and everyone was gone. And, and, uh, he just saw the dog. Yeah, the dog. Yeah, the thank dog you. that got hurt. The, the second time he had the vision, vision is when he followed the kid into like some subway and the kid beat the fucking shit out of him. Yeah. You know, which I was like, whoa, okay, you know, this is cool. But I thought, you know, I, I, at first watching, I thought, oh, well, this is a real life manifestation. Billy Mahoney, you know, came back from the dead or, you know, in some spiritual, corporeal form and just beating the fucking shit out of him. I think ultimately was more in his head. I think this movie is not about some outside threat. I think it's more about the guilt that we carry within ourselves. And sometimes the most difficult people to forgive is us forgiving ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's what this kind of speaks to. At least that's the message I was getting that he never forgave himself for bullying and essentially killing Billy Mahoney. You know, Kevin Bacon's character never really forgave himself or carried that guilt about taunting that young girl the way that they did as a group of friends. Mm -hmm. You know, so it seems like everybody has this personal guilt. And I don't think it's an outside thing. And what gave me that impression is something you said is when Kevin Bacon's character was in the greenhouse asking for forgiveness from that chick, right? And uh, Kiefer Sutherland was like in the van, right? And he was struggling with his pickaxe and everything. And when you see it from the outside, from another man's perspective, he's just really struggling with himself. There's no one there. It's all in his head. Because I want to give the chick a name. Her name in the movie was Winnie Hicks. Thank but, you. But the actress was Kimberly Scott. We've she seen was, her in a bunch of movies yeah. too. She's actually really good. She's really good. Yeah. And I yeah. think what. Everybody looks so young. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> looks different. There's no Botox there. Yeah. <laughs> but it was nice because I think he he forgave himself by apologizing. But yes. you can really see it in Kevin's face when she actually said, thank you. Yeah. And yeah. she. Except, like it was it's one thing to say i'm sorry and it's like okay i said i'm sorry i meant it if you don't accept it well then fuck you well he meant it and she accepted it and it you just see it in his face of like like that guilt just lift like a a weight lifted off his shoulders you just saw bricks coming like right he just and his face changed and and not once since that point did he have any kind of flashback like he had the one flashback in the subway Mm-hmm. On the train. And then it's like he immediately ran to the group. You know, whereas Kiefer, his character, he just held it in. But he was getting his ass beat. And he didn't really know what to do. If it, You know what I mean? Yeah, but there's one woman. Not to say there's a woman, so you should have. Because even if there was no woman, he should have opened his damn mouth. He should have. And, and that's exactly what the whole point was. Why everyone was pissed at him. And you, have a, you had a thing. You start getting your ass beat and getting jealous because you see that Kevin's taking better care of Julia Roberts than you are. <laughs> Little rivalry going. Everybody wants Julia Roberts. I was Roberts. so happy when they got together because he was just so there for her. You know what I mean? And not even in a sexual way. I mean, it got there, but 
it wasn't that way for him. He was a more of a well-rounded character. Yeah. I think definitely more fleshed out. And I don't know if they gave him that because he was like the atheist of the group and everyone else was obviously believed in, you know, some sort of religion. Well, let's get one. I am religious or spiritual, whatever you want to call sure. it. Sure. You go to church? Yeah. Yeah. When I have time. Uh-huh. But I don't know why people put a bad label on atheists. Like, just because they don't believe in... And what you believe doesn't make them a horror. They're still human. Sure. Well, the going thinking in organized religion is that they don't have a moral compass, atheists, yeah. right? They, how could they possibly know right from wrong or what's good and bad? Yeah. You know, if there's not a sky daddy in a book telling them what's good or bad or right so from I'm wrong. So just, I'm just surprised for how old this movie is that they let him be human-like, I guess, is yeah, my I, way. Because normally, like you said... No moral compass, so they must be a bad person. Right. Well, so 1990, there was like this whole politically, like Bill Meyer was coming around with his politically politically incorrect show. Okay. And atheists were starting to get more and more traction within mainstream pop culture and news and everything. So maybe that's why then. Yeah. So I, maybe they just kind of, you know, threw that character in there. But I, it is a control. Like everything was very religious overtone. So that well, maybe yeah. Kevin, and I think he said, he's like, I'm the control of the experiment, you know? Like, I don't believe in anything. So if there is an afterlife, you know, it They'll will believe con- me over. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it was just nice because if you're atheist, then you must you don't worship God. So you must be a devil. So yeah. for that generation to have him play that character and play it so well, it was just nice and refreshing. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's the older man. you go back, you don't see it like that is my point. Sure. So it was nice. So all the guys that were going to flatline, they went, right? And now it's Rachel's turn. And they definitely pushed her off, right? I mean, she definitely had like the highest bid. She kept pushing it and pushing it. And uh, so Rachel decides to flatline next on Halloween. David tries to stop the others from giving Rachel the same fate, but she's already dead when he arrives. Rachel nearly dies for 10 minutes and then the power goes out as they are unable to shock her awake with the defibrillator paddles right and kevin bacon put those lips on hers i'm oh, sorry <laughs> and that's what brought it back the power of love from kevin bacon's sweet lips right and the air coming out of his lungs into hers mm-hmm. mm. that sweet kevin bacon carbon dioxide oxygen exchange bodily fluids in the whole night i mean who wouldn't be a revive from a coma or death with kevin bacon just you know, so close to you, you know, breathing into your mouth. That would that would revive anybody. Well, which generation? Because now I don't know so much. Then, yes. <laughs> no, I still got love for her. So she, you know, like everyone else, is haunted by somebody. And this is her father who committed suicide when she was younger. And it seemed like uh, he came back from Vietnam, he, you know, PTSD. PTSD. You know, and he had that heroin problem. and That uh, she didn't know about, though. No, she didn't know about that. She just, you know, in her vision, she just walked up to the bathroom because the door was open, seeing her dad. Because I think he was mumbling something. Yeah, and he ran out the house and basically in the vision into a car and blew his brains out, basically. But his, That's what it seemed like. But and his mom, or her mom, was blaming it all on her. You know, so maybe he was just overcome with an incredible amount of, like, guilt and shame and, yeah, you know. But she didn't know that he was doing heroin at the time. She didn't see that part. Yeah. But what was nice is when she was under it, or not under it, she's already awake. She's now seeing her father. What was nice was she was scared at first because she only had little glimpse. She didn't, wasn't abused by him. Hmm. But after spending the night 
when her after her and Kevin Bacon did their ooh la la and he had to leave because someone was tripping she had another um it, her final scene with her dad right and it, to me it was sad but beautiful at the same time for her because she was so young when he died yeah she had a and lot of questions and she, a lot of guilt she was carrying he didn't see her you know, graduate right. from high school, prom, and now she's becoming a doctor. So to, like, know more, like, oh, shit. Like, my dad was fucked up. Right, he yeah. He fought yeah. for our country. He came home. He had a drug problem. It wasn't me. Like, fuck my mom. Like, she didn't say that, but, <laughs> yeah. like, like it wasn't me. And for him to see his beautiful little girl being a woman, and he embraced her, and then all was forgiven. Like, because yeah. there was nothing to forgive. It, exactly. In, in her situation. She really just had to forgive herself. She was, and that's why I think there was nothing existential about like the threat was out in the outside. It was really on the inside. It was an yeah. internal battle. Well, because look. Flatlining just bubbled that up. Yeah. Because we'll look what happened. Because, um, what's his name? Is it Dr. Dave? Uh, which character? The first. The- Kiefer's? Yeah. The blonde. The blonde guy, yeah. That's Kiefer Sutherland. Okay. He did it again, but with no one there. Right, yeah. That's, that's the like, next that, that's yeah. the next line. Because like, he couldn't, on. like, everybody can ask for forgiveness, potentially. They can do that. But he, his guy was dead, right? So he had to go much deeper within his, you know, psyche to yeah. battle that demon, right? And it wasn't necessarily dying to battle him on the plane of, you know, uh, what's that, you know, when you're in the state between heaven and hell. Purg- purgatory. purgatory purgatory yeah they're not battling on the plains of purgatory physically i think he just really had to go deep within his subconscious and battle that manifestation you know well look how bad he had to do that though he yeah. li- he literally had to switch spots with the kid that he used to bully that died like he was on top of the tree now yeah he was the he one who had being- to experience that firsthand yeah yeah, yeah. like dude you're a fucking douche you need you know what you need a reality and he check. is a bit douchey in his in, in his adulthood right i mean yeah. you can see he was easily getting jealous between kevin bacon and julia like roberts their, and their was, characters and it yeah was, it was way before anything was about super to cocky playing with kevin bacon's life as he was trying to revive him from him flatlining yeah he was skipping the count as they were doing cpr he was like one you know mississippi two mississippi and then skip and talk and then jump back and be like five mississippi like he was the hot shot right exactly and that like, was just this is because of me this was my exactly you're, you're yeah. writing my cocktails so we're gonna do it my way yeah so that you. you could definitely see like that douchiness and i wonder they didn't really go too far into it but it seemed like after that he was a little bit humble i hope so you know like he checked himself a little bit it was a reality check i hope so that's all you gotta say but yeah. it was just nice that they put him in his place like okay you're not really grasping what you're supposed to learn right now. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do exactly what you did to that little boy. To you now. Yeah. And you let us know how the hell you feel afterwards. Yeah. So meanwhile, Joe's fiance, Anne, comes to his apartment and breaks up with him after she discovers all of his videos. Joe's visions cease after Anne leaves him. Rachel seeks comfort in the arms of David and the two make love. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pause that right there because I I'm reading like the quick plot um, synopsis and everything just to kind of keep it going. Yeah, because you you got me off. I, I'm all like, I actually where are you? didn't. Well, <laughs> well, the womanizer guy, William Baldwin, right? Okay. 
His thing was that he was secretly videotaping all of these women. He was just saying whatever to get these women into bed, and then he would secretly videotape them, right? But everybody was, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's weird that he didn't really have to go around and admit it to these women that that's what he did. His vision stopped as, after his fiance left him. That's kind of a cop-out. I don't like that. I don't like that either. I think his punishment should be, or the way he needs to at least give these tapes to this. This is what I did, and I'm sorry, and here's the tape. There are no other copies. Keep it moving. Yeah. Right? To sit there and be like, all is forgiven because your fiance broke up with you, that's that's a bit of a cop-out, I think. Well, because it's finite. It's one and done. You know, it's it's not as complicated. You know, because these other guys all had one and done. Juliet, for, you know, forgiving her father or come to the realization. But she didn't do nothing, well, though. You know what I mean? Coming to this certain yeah. realization that she didn't do anything. Uh, Kevin Bacon having to apologize to the to the girl, you know. But he was sincere. Kiefer, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland battling, you know, his subconscious, you know, and, and forgiving himself essentially for what he did to Billy. Because he pretty much beat himself up. Yeah, yeah pretty much, yeah. Which is what yeah. made me start think going down that road of it's more of our subconscious than an existential yeah. threat. But his would be more complicated. He would have to hunt down all of these women. His He had a fucking tape. I mean, a case full of tapes. You know, it wasn't just a handful of girls. It, was, it looked like, it, like 40, 50 tapes in there. So his would be more complicated. Well... And somebody could potentially, well, I forgive you, but I'm going to press charge charges. Yeah. Or some shit. He could be the one that goes to jail. If not apologize for the tape, at least go, um, I'm a doctor and I've slept with hundreds of women. You might want to get tested. Because <laughs> he was very, uh, between him and the other doctor, they discussed me. Julia Robert and Kevin Bacon were my favorite. And the, uh, oh, the other guy, there was another doctor that didn't even go flatline at all. He oh, yeah, he was, yeah, he was, yeah, he was, that was Oliver Oliver Pratt, I believe is his name. He, yeah, but I actually like Oliver he, Platt. I liked how he did the tapes, how his uh, voiceovers, the, the. Oh, yeah, he his, was like going on these uh, ramblings and, you know. But it was very nice. Like, it was like eye opening, I guess. Like, yeah philosophical and everything Very. so i you know that brings but with me to my, only what people were willing to give up sure what did you i guess that brings me so you like the dialogue and like the script mm-hmm. you know even though in 1990s the dialogue was pretty much there on was, point there were some cheesy moments but sure there was like really was he that big of a douche like or did he have to be that like you're a doctor you're you're goal is to save people's lives and maybe come up with a cure do you really have to be that douchey like i don't know you see videos all the time of doctor some like the high-end doctors like <laughs> driving a red porsche and almost hitting someone on a fucking yeah. bike and yelling at you know them. i guess you know when you're dealing and you have somebody's life literally in your hands and you're like pumping their heart or doing some life maybe you can easily get this god complex i was about, i would say a god a god god brain or god god complex god, yeah yeah and you just started acting uh, more important than what you really are. Hmm. He, God gives you the skill. They can take it away. You need hands. <laughs> just saying. All right. So let's get back on, on track here. Right. So uh, we were last week, we were talking about how uh, Rachel and David hooked up. 
your your two main Kevin Bacon and Julia Lewis, you were like, yes, you you really like them too. Hooking up. <laughs> well, no, they didn't have to have sex in the movie. I'm just saying, like, they're the way that they treat other people and themselves, the conversations that they have, it was just nice. Like, and they were friends before, so yeah. So while Rachel and David are together, Nielsen takes Steckel and Joe to the graveyard and he reveals that he killed Billy Mahoney. And uh, he hit him with a rock and he fell out of the tree and Nelson storms off, leaving Joe and Steckles stranded, right? Mm. So that's when we really find out the extent of his guilt, that he actually killed a kid when he was younger with a group of other kids. And in the process, killed his dog, too. That was kind of fucked up. Damn dog. I know. That actually felt bad. The kid fell out the tree. I was like, oh, that's fucked up. And then the branch fell on the dog. I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> so- you have more pity over the dog. I did, I did. So uh, David leaves Rachel in order to f- in order to rescue Joe and Steckle from the cemetery. Uh, while alone, Rachel goes into the bathroom and she finds her father and she apologizes. You know all that, and the guilt mm. is lifted, like we were talking about. Okay. Yeah. And then in the meantime, uh, after she's you know kind of going through her catharsis, the, uh, what's his name? David calls. Doctor David calls and says, "I'm going under, basically." And uh, you know, she hangs up the phone and uh, they all meet up at the church or the uh, the little place that they have set up for themselves. Right. And uh, Rachel reveals that it's been 10 minutes that David has been under for 10 whole minutes. That's mm-hmm. twice as long as anybody. Three times. I think the longest was four minutes at one point. Right. And so 10 minutes is a really long time for someone to be completely brain dead. I think in real life, I'm not sure how well that would work out for you. With no oxygen to your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they're previously working and, uh, you know, needless to say, they bring him back. And But in his dream, like we were talking about, right, he wrestles with the guy or with the kid. They switch spots and he dies. And then in, in I guess, in real life, they're all struggling and are accepting, oh, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, right? Mm-hmm. And Kevin Bacon's like, no, he comes back for one last, you know, smash to the chest. <laughs> <laughs> like Zeus or some shit. And uh, his character, uh, Kiefer, comes alive in this Netherland in his subconscious. And uh, him and Billy give this look. <laughs> you know, like this light shines up and Billy looks at him like, all right, we're good. You know, I killed you. You know how I feel. Yeah, but he Kevin um, went down and he pretty much said what Kevin said, but in a different language, I think. It was like, it was a good day to die. Oh, yeah. Today wasn't a good day to die. That was yeah. the final yeah. kind of words that they spoke to each other. But I didn't. OK, so while um, Billy Mahoney and Kiefer Sutherland switched spots, right? And Kiefer's in the tree now and Billy's throwing rocks at him. He does shout out, I'm sorry. And that's when things kind of happen. The branches break and he falls and everything. Yeah, and he looks up and the one kid smiles at him. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like he apologized, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's he forgave himself. And I think that's where this movie really shines with these tones of just the subconscious. And, you know, like I said earlier, the people that are hardest to forgive is us forgiving ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we carry these guilts with us for a very long time. And maybe a lot of time is growing as a human being. These are the things that can hold us back. You know, is our the, the shit that we carry, not what people put on us. I agree. You know, and, and a lot of times, you know, shedding that guilt, you know, transforms you. You'll do a, like a 180, you know, like it's you're able to grow and move on and 
you know, something like that. And I will say, as we start to wrap things up, what I really appreciated about this movie is that even though it was done in 1990, a lot of the themes still seem to be very current. Like William Baldwin's character sexually harassing all these women or, or recording all of these women without their knowledge. Oh, I get what you mean. Like, it, a, it's still relevant. Yeah, like, and it's very relevant with, like, this Harvey Weinstein and thing going on. And now, like, we were watching the news this morning and this big story dropped about Bill O'Reilly had to pay out $31 million. So it seems like this is very, like, very relevant, you know? And um, Julia Roberts' father coming back with PTSD from the war. I mean, we are dealing with a lot of our troops coming back from, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. Even These the, people have children. Even the local Vegas, our local Vegas people. Yeah. I mean, about all of these, there's wars to this day. We have soldiers, you know, the number one death from soldiers is suicide. Mm -hmm. That's still to this day, not just in 1990 or, you know, the 60s when Vietnam, you know, was portrayed in this movie, right? So I find that a lot of these tropes or a lot of these ideas are still holding a lot of weight. And there's still a lot of bullying going on. Yeah, well, it's and bullying has definitely came to the forefront in modern modern days, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I was bullied a lot as a kid, and that really wasn't bullying, wasn't like this hot topic button or anything like that, where it is now. Well, you even said, like, it only happened at school, and that was it. Nowadays, it happens at school, and it keeps on oh, going Oh, yeah, with online. social media, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, the, I mean, the bullying is nonstop. I feel so see, bad for these kids. But there's also a new style of bully. These, there's bullies of people are bullying people that they don't even freaking know, never met in their life. <laughs> That's the sick part. So, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, so bullying is even, you know, more to the forefront of conscious thinking and, you know, nowadays. So a lot of these ideas are like really relevant today mm -hmm. Sex, the, the, with the sexual mistreatment of the women, the PTSD of, you know, from the father and the bullying from that girl and everything. You know, a lot of these are still ringing true. Yeah. So and and what I liked most about this is just the setting, the set, the background, the the, the, the university and. It really was creepy. And I'm very curious as to how it looks like in real life. Like, are, are all these murals in the background? You know, Do these students really just perform surgeries or autopsies in this giant room surrounded by saints and shit like that? So it was very creepy. We'll have to check it out one time. Yeah. So as we end things, babe, uh, I guess one through ten, what did you think of Flatliners? Do you think it holds up to this day? Yes, I think it holds up for today. Um, I give it... An eight out of ten. Wow, pretty high. Eight out of ten, huh? Yeah. All right. That that's pretty high. I give it that score, meaning I wouldn't mind watching it again, not right away. Sure. But it's rewatchable. Okay. So the rewatchability is still there. Yeah. If I would have gone under eight, I probably wouldn't watch it again. All right. So if I'm willing to watch it again, it gets an eight. It doesn't score a ten because there is just certain cheesiness of the 80s that I'm a little over <laughs> but nonetheless I liked it and does this uh, are you more curious about the remake now or does it kind of kill the remake because some of these remakes are just god awful they are god awful but I just have a feeling I think they're going to make it even better because the technical like with electronics nowadays the you're talking effects. about special effects and everything yeah you know I think and they got some really good 
actors and actresses in it. So Right. You know what I really appreciated about this? And I'm glad you said like special effects and everything. Is this was the 1990s Flatliners is more of a psychological thriller. Mm -hmm. So we didn't, you know, see like a lot of the gore or like when Julia Roberts character, her father kills himself. We don't see him blowing his brains out. Well, look what era that was. I don't think they would allow that. Well, I mean, there was still gore and stuff in 1990. I think it was done on purpose. I I think it's a thriller and not, you know, some horror movie where... Or gory's hack and slash. Well, you gotta remember certain. Th- they try to stick within the PG and the the yeah rated R version, so they probably were trying to keep that movie under a certain rate. Well, I happen to think that they did that intentionally, not because of the rating, but because of a psychological thriller. And you know, showing somebody blowing their brains out is not the same as suggesting it. It doesn't. It creates like that air in you know in there, and when you just show it. It's just like, okay, it's like one and done. And I'm curious, this new one, if they're going to go more of that route, or is it going to be a little bit more violent, a little bit more bloody? Is there going to be a character whose father killed himself? Are they going to show that? You know, whereas this one suggested it. It was almost like Hitchcockian in in a sense, you know, where you don't see it, but it's just there in the air. You feel it. And that's what I liked about this movie. And that's what I appreciated. Well, we're just going to have to watch it and find out. I would say on my scale of one to ten, um, I would give it more of a seven and not and not an eight. But I did like a, I don't know, I just like the nostalgia of it, I think. And I think I could watch it again with you. Okay. All right. I think that's going to do it for our very first review. Hopefully we will get better <laughs> as we go on reviewing movies. Uh, but uh I'm glad you guys joined us, man. Thank you so much. As always, I love the fucking shit out of you. Uh, what do you got to say to the beautiful people, babe? If you don't have web, bust out the VHS, VHS tapes. <laughs> okay. And so, watch some old movies. And before we leave, uh, why don't you go ahead and let the people know what's going on with you. You got Sarah's Kitchen LV on Instagram and everything. Go ahead and give your information so that people can find you. Oh, that's right. Well, I have a cooking page on Facebook that's called Sarah's Kitchen. Well, I just started an Instagram page for that channel. Well, other page. And it's called Sarah's underscore kitchen underscore LV. So come check it out. Awesome. All right. Okay, guys, that's... I'm struggling today. That's going to do it for today, our very first review. We will have many more. I'm thinking the next movie that we're going to come up with for our next review is The NeverEnding Story. Have you ever seen it? Yes. You say yes like you're not happy. We discussed this movie. You saw it in theaters. I did. I seen this movie in the theaters. It's It's one of my favorite all-time movies. When's the last time you seen it? High school. Just that's one of Jessica's favorite movies. She, oh. she forced me to watch it with her. She had, on VHS at that. Uh. So you clearly have, you know, you clearly remember everything about that. Probably not clearly because I, I wasn't a big fan of. Okay. The the best part was the big fluffy dog that flew. Val Valkyrie Val. Yeah, Valkyrie. I think his name is something like that. Here you go. I, they always say you learn something new, and this is like a little off topic, but not. Remember that show we were watching and we finally found out where the term Saved by the Bell came? Yeah, we were watching Lore on Amazon Prime. I ended up telling people at work, I'm like, you know where Saved by the Bell came by? And I told them, and they're like, shut up. 
that's when I, I guess we'll, we'll end it on this, right? Saved yeah. by the bell is a term when people were um, concerned alive. about being buried alive, so they would, um, you know, drill a hole in, you know, to your to your coffin mm-hmm. and attach, you know, at the top of this hole or pipe, right, would be a bell, and they'd run a string through that hole to the coffin, and if you were alive and woke up. You would be able to pull a string and ring the bell, and then people would promptly the, dig you up. Yeah, the groundskeeper would dig you up. Hence the term. Saved by the bell. Okay. okay. Isn't that creepy? I love it, but creepy. That obviously stands out in your mind. It does. Okay. So the guys can find you on Instagram and Facebook, Sarah's Kitchen and Sarah's Kitchen LV. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's going to do it for our first review ever. I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. I know that we're going to get better as we go on and we'll find some good movies that my wife hasn't watched that I grew up on. What did you ever, you ever watch Lucas? Maybe that will be our next one. Why does that sound familiar? It's almost like a coming of age movie. I remember watching it and I really felt some type of way after this particular movie. I think we'll watch that one next because you're so familiar with Never Ending Story. I love how you go Lucas and my first thought is the candy? No, no. Maybe Lucas and have you ever heard of Robin Williams' live action movie Popeye? Yes. Okay. So we're going to get into some really good classic ones. Because I was a fan of the Popeye cartoon, so I (laughs) saw that one. Awesome. All right, guys. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. And as always, I love the fucking shit out of you. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Goodbye, beautiful people.